Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us please stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, selfishness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand now, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your might. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arcadian to your divine hand, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. The letter of Apostle Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God and to righteousness and holiness of truth. The right to set aside our former way of life, to clothe our bodies in a new way of life. So those bodies that we are going to spend with in eternity, they are going to be clothed into an image. For some, this is going to be a new way of life, and others will dwell in an old way of life. And now imagine how glorious some bodies will be and how somber other bodies will be because we are going to be clothed in our inner man, our innermost man, and others in their outer man, in the old man. Obviously, those that are going to share their fate and eternity with their father, with devil. And for the fulfillment of this commandment written by the Apostle Paul and presented to us in the series of sermons of Apostle Arkady, there are three fateful commands and fundamental actions. This is to set aside, renew, and clothe. And from the fulfillment of these three requirements will depend the perfection of our salvation that is given to us in the format of a seed that we can gain as a property in the format of the fruit of righteousness. Salvation is given as a deposit in the format of a seed so that it can become our belonging in the format of the fruit of righteousness. Even we can stop at this and ponder upon this and we will see what depth is contained in these words. The wisdom of God just to simply take and to formulate this passage. And in this one passage, we see the depth, the beauty, 
of the creation of God, the wisdom of God, which the Lord had given to His creation, so that His creation, His clay, His ash, His rather His dust, can have bodies, just as He can have a glorious body, just like the body of Yahweh. And all of this is thanks to the fact that He gives to He gives Himself to us in the format of a seed, and for us to receive it in the format of the fruit of righteousness. If we can't place this deposit into salvation and clothe it into the death of the Lord, or rather immerse it into the death of the Lord Jesus, it cannot become our belonging. And with regard to this, we have stopped to study the 18th Psalm of David, in which acknowledgement and proclamation of the powers contained in the heart of David in the eight names of God had allowed David and call on the Lord and love God, who is worthy to be praised, and it gave God the basis to use these powers of these capabilities in battle against the enemies of David and against our enemies. Because the enemies of David, when we read the Psalms of David, we see that we have the same enemies as David. We have these enemies inside of us, and we see these enemies outside of us, around us in the face of lawless and wicked people. They are there. They exist. Our enemies didn't disappear anywhere. They are there. This means that that which had David proclaimed and spoke, this was uh, innermost in him and it is necessary for us today. Psalms 18, verse 1 through 4. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Here we see the eight names of God, and let's please proclaim them again. Lord, you are my strength. Lord, you are my rock. Lord, you are my fortress. Lord, you are my deliverer. Lord, you are my rock of Israel. Lord, you are my shield. Lord, you are the horn of my salvation. Lord, you are my stronghold. Thanks be to God that he has made us worthy of his names. And so, in a certain format, as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already looked at our inherited portion in Christ Jesus and the powers of the four names of God in the dignity of strength, rock, fortress, and deliverer. And now we will continue to look at our inherited portion in Christ Jesus in the name of God, Rock of Israel. In this prayer song of David, the name of God, Rock, contains the inherited portion of the Son of God, in whom and through whom we are called to receive the victorious ability to keep and expand our income received from placing the silver of our salvation into circulation. It is specifically the name of God, Rock, that allows us to see to see the salvation, which also includes our body. And if we don't collaborate with the name of God, Rock, then the adoption of our body will be unknown to us. Why? Because in order to see this revelation regarding the salvation of our body, it is necessary to collaborate with the name of God, Rock. It is necessary to be lifted up to the height, heights for us that are inaccessible. And pastor teaches us 
how to be lifted up to those inaccessible heights. And this is possible only through the collaboration with the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, so that the resurrection of Christ, we as eagles, because eagles is the doctrine of resurrection of the dead, so that we can be lifted up to heights higher than us. People can't dig their way up. People can't walk up. We can be lifted up there through wings, through the wings of resurrection. And resurrection is the result of death. Death and the baptism in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why somebody that collaborates with the name of God Rock is somebody that collaborates with the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and is lifted up to heights higher than Him and is able to keep and expand His inheritance and in doing so, keep His inheritance because we must remember our inheritance. We must see these boundaries of our inheritance. And for this, it is necessary to be lifted up to heights. And how do we lift up on these heights? Only through the wings of resurrection. And so we arrived at the need to study the following questions. Talking about the name of God, you are my rock. This, firstly, the question is, what characteristics and categories define our inherited portion in the name of God, rock? Second, what purpose in the realization of our salvation is our inherited portion in the name of God, rock, intended to fulfill? Third, what price is necessary to pay to give God the basis to be our rock? And fourth, according to what results should we define that God is truly our rock in the realization of our salvation or our calling? We should consider that if upon studying our inherited portion that is contained in the name of God, rock, if we view these powers outside of the faith of our heart and outside of the proclamation of our lips, then we will immediately move in an unfaithful direction. So to collaborate with these names and not just with the name of God, strength, but all the eight names, it is necessary to collaborate, for our heart to collaborate with our lips. And this is very important. Sometimes people say, I accept that which Pastor Adekadji says, and uh, this person comes up and says, why did I fall into this sin or into this situation? For I ex- But I accept this word, I've acknowledged God's order. I always ask, do you proclaim Do you proclaim with your lips that which you have accepted in your heart? He says, well, I ponder over this word. I said, do you proclaim what you have accepted in your heart? Almost no, he says. And therefore, as we see, our inherited portion, which is contained in the name of God, rock, we can't take this inheritance outside of the faith of our heart. We need to have the faith of our heart present in the proclamation of our lips, our lips that proclaim the faith of our heart. Why do we place it in our heart? Only for the very reason that we can proclaim with our lips. Because through the lips we proclaim unto salvation. With our heart we have faith. Can we be saved if we simply believe with our heart and don't proclaim? This is not so. We need to believe with our heart and to proclaim with our lips. And this is a very important component. I've noted that in all the labors of pastor and almost in every image, we see this collaboration of our heart and our lips present. And we're going to continue to look at this and see this red thread. This uh, idea is going to be spread out all throughout. And so with regard to the four classic questions, we've stopped to study the third one, which sounds like this. What price is necessary to pay to give God the basis 
to be our rock of Israel. And the first price, giving God the basis to be our rock of Israel, is comprised of our decision to heed the commandments of the Lord, which will give us the right to exit out of Babylon. We have talked about this already. Today, again, in different components, we'll talk about this Babylon. Let's move on to the second component of the price, giving God the basis to be our rock. This is our payment for the ability to live among the devouring fire of holiness. This is the interesting second component of the price that we have stopped to study and that we are going to continue to grow deeper in in the revelation of God, which were offered to us by our pastor. And so the place of Holy Scripture, Isaiah chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Here we should stop and ask, wait, where were the sinners afraid? In Zion. Where was this trembling and fear? In Zion. How so? The first component, Scripture says, flee Babylon. And there are people that have fleed Babylon. They have left this Babylon and these democratic structures. But having left these democratic structures, they carried out their own traditions, their own understandings. They carried out Babylon within themselves. They fled Babylon, but this Babylon, as before Egypt, uh, was carried out by Israel and their thinking. Same thing as people when they left Babylon. They exited out of Babylon Yet this Babylon remained in their thinking. Therefore, Scripture says, Sinners in Zion are afraid, meaning those that have not destroyed Babylon in themselves. It's as if they've left Babylon, but Babylon remained in them. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? And furthermore, it is listed, Who is this person who can live in Zion? who is able to live and dwell in the church. It is he who walks righteously and speaks the truth in his heart, he who despises the gain of oppressions, whose gestures with his hands refusing brides, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. And he, these are the blessings that God has prepared for such a person. He will dwell on high. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Bread will be given him. His water will be sure. And so in this passage, the reward for our ability to live among the devouring fire of the Most High is presented in four signs which we have covered. First, we will dwell on high. Second, our place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. Third, bread will be given to us from heaven. And four, the living water of the Holy Spirit accepted by us as Lord and Ruler being made in our heart as water, will not run dry. Whereas the price for the right to live among the devouring fire of holiness is the fruit of holiness in our heart, which is, stands guard of the holiness of the Most High in five signs. This is the price. First, we must walk righteously and speak the truth in our heart. Second, we must despise the gain of oppressions. Third, we must keep our hands away from bribes. Fourth, we must shut our eyes from hearing about bloodshed. And fifth, we must shut our eyes from seeing evil. These are the five components of the price for the right to live among the devouring fire of holiness. 
or to simply offer the fruit of holiness. As we see, the fruit of holiness expresses itself in the expression, it is necessary to first to walk uh, righteously. This is turning to our feet. We must speak truth in our heart. This is speaking about our heart and our lips. We must keep our hands from oppressions. This is referring to our hands. We must close our ears to not hear about bloodshed. We are talking about our ears. To close our eyes to not see evil. This is referring to our eyes. So it is our eyes, our ears, our lips, our heart, our hands, our feet. All of this is clothed in the format of the fruit of holiness, meaning the fruit of holiness expresses itself in these qualities. And it's not just when we know the truth. Sometimes people say, well, how? This sister, she knew the truth so well and she betrayed the church. She didn't know the truth. Knowledge of the truth is defined when truth expresses itself in righteousness. And righteousness expresses itself in our lips, in our eyes, in our ears, in our hands, in our, in our legs, and in our heart. And if when we see the righteousness of God as the expression of the truth of God dwelling in these substances, then we can say that a person knows this truth. The knowledge of truth, the reading teaching of Christ, is defined by our feet, our hands, our tongue, our eyes, our ears, and our heart. And so we will turn to looking at the price for the right to dwell in Zion among the devouring fire representing the image of the holiness of the Most High. And we will look at the first condition, or we have already started to look at the first condition, we have stopped to study it further and we'll continue to look at it. And so the first condition, the fulfillment of which is the price that gives us the right to power to live among the devouring fire in the dwelling of God, is the requirement to walk in righteousness and speak truth. This is the price to dwell among the devouring fire of holiness. This is to walk righteously and to speak the truth. And we see this written about in David, Psalm 14, or 15 verses 1 through 2. A Psalm of David, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill? He who speaks, or rather walks uprightly and works righteousness, and speaks the truth in his heart. If Isaiah says, Who may dwell among the devouring fire of holiness amid everlasting burnings? Here David says, Who can dwell in your tabernacle? As we see, the tabernacle of God is the holy burning, everlasting burning of God. And in order for us to keep this burning, as we have read previously, we need to have the fruit of holiness in our heart that is going to stand guard of the holiness of the Most High. This is what priests do. The priest's responsibility was to constantly uphold the fire on the altar and in the lamp. It couldn't dim. The Lord only once lit this fire and they had to continually uphold this fire. Same thing as we. We must uphold this fire, not just in the church, but uphold this fire in our hearts, in our essence. And this is only possible through the fruit of holiness, the fruit of holiness that is going to stand watch of the holiness of the Most High that is going to stand guard of this fire that lives in us. And as soon as this fire is dimmed out by us, then the holiness of the Most High will destroy us with its everlasting burnings. Therefore, the fruit of holiness is a very important component. And we right now are looking at the fruit of holiness in this first component, to walk righteously and to speak the truth. 
And so, with regard to this, we need to look at the essence of the following questions. What is righteousness and truth? We are looking at the fact that we need to walk in righteousness and speak the truth. Well, then what is righteousness and what is truth? If we need to walk righteously and speak the truth, what what are these components? What purpose are they called to fulfill in our relationship with God? Second, what price or requirement is necessary to give us the ability to dwell in truth and righteousness? Third, what conditions are necessary to fill to keep ourselves in the limits of truth and righteousness? And fourth, by what results can we define that God is truly our rock in the realization of our calling? And so the first question, we have already covered it in part. Let's read it again. The first question, what is righteousness in truth, in nature, and definition? And what purpose are righteousness and truth called to fulfill in our relationship with God? To distinguish these two terms expressed in the words righteousness and truth, and to not view them as twins, although they resemble one another like our son resembles his father and a daughter resembles her mother. These two terms, truth and righteousness, they are not brothers twins, but these are like a father and a son, and like a mother and a daughter. Because truth reproduces itself in righteousness, just as a father reproduces himself in the son, and a seed reproduces itself in the fruit. From which it follows that truth is the state of a good heart, cleansed of dead works, in which dwells the faith of God in the format of the wisdom of the reigning teaching of Christ. This is truth. So this is not just the state of a good heart. This state, I have a good state. Well, brother, what is a state? Can you tell me what this state is? This is a state, it's a good state. Well, no, a good state, a pastor explains. It is firstly, a good heart that is cleansed of dead works. And secondly, this is a heart in which dwells the wisdom of God in the format of the dignity of the reigning teaching of Christ. And righteousness or justice is an expression of this state in the fruit of the lips that proclaim the inner state of the faith of our heart. And proceeding from the fact that justice or righteousness is truth in action or the result of that which truth produces. Righteousness is truth in action. Righteousness is the Son. Truth is the Son. Truth is the Father. Righteousness is truth in action. The Son is the Father in action. Jesus Christ is the Father in action. Jesus said, I speak only that which I saw and heard from my Father, and you, having he turned to the Jews, he says, you do what your father did. And they ask, well, then who is our father? And he says, well, according to your actions, it's devil. Jesus was righteousness in relation to his father, who for him was the truth. Because the true practice of righteousness and acts of justice can only occur none other than through the truth that dwells in the heart of a person. The true practice of righteousness can occur none other than through the truth that dwells in the heart of a person. Therefore, if there is no truth in the heart of a person, 
then he cannot have any kind of practice of righteousness. That's why today many churches, for example, have come to things such as encounters, meaning a so-called meeting with God. Why do they come and arrive to this? Because they don't have truth. The practice of righteousness in sanctification can be correct only when a person has the format of truth in his heart, in the format of the reading teaching of Christ. And when this is not present, then there are encounters present. And they, like a magnet, they magnetize those people that have rejected salvation, who have not loved truth in their heart. This is the first magnet. Those that were at encounters, in their heart there is no truth. And the main slogan of encounters is comprised of the slogan Antichrist, which sounds like this. That which the church couldn't give you throughout your whole life, we will give this to you without the church for three days of an encounter with God. Scripture says that every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ who came in the body in his church, this is the true spirit of the Antichrist. People wait for the Antichrist in Europe. But he is already like Antichrist. He's come into the church and he reveals himself in the church. Interesting, what kind of will Antichrist be? Friends, Antichrist surround us. We are surrounded by Antichrist. They are already here. Therefore, we must understand that the true practice of righteousness can be only there where there is the truth and perfect truth. If there is no truth, there is no practice of righteousness nor practice of sanctification, the holiness of God. Truth, firstly, is personified in God and is one of the title names of the Godhead or God the Father. Jeremiah 10.10 But the Lord God is a true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. Jesus also said of himself that he, as his heavenly Father, is the personified truth. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Furthermore, in a letter to the Church of Christ, Apostle John testified that one of the names of the Holy Spirit is also truth. 1 John 5, 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. According to this and other places of scriptures, it follows that truth is not just the name title of God, but also the natural state of God. So when the Lord calls himself and says, I am the true God, he doesn't hang up titles for himself, but he talks about his natural state, because all of his titles, they coincide with his natural state. It is for us, we proclaim the inexistent as existent. What do we do? We, uh, we proclaim a title. We are the children of God. We are holy. When God says, this coinci coincides with his natural state. When we speak, all that coincides with our natural state even is in our spirit because he dwells in infancy. This is the perfect truth that was placed in the format of the reigning teaching in the conscience that is cleansed of dead works. 
It is only this small seed that allows me to say I am holy in Christ Jesus. Whereas my words are far from holy, my thoughts are far from holy, my actions are far from holy. The right that I have to proclaim that I am holy is the perfect truth that dwells in my heart. And then this truth begins to spread and its perfection begins to spread and expand out of our heart into our thoughts and then into our lips and then our feet, our hands, our ears, our eyes. This truth begins to spread through all limits of our essence. Furthermore, Scripture defines truth as all of that which comes from God. These are His revelations, laws, commandments, judgments. Psalms 119, 138. Your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful, or rather, true. Here we see that the Lord calls His Word as the perfect truth. He calls Himself, I am the true God. The Holy Spirit He calls the Spirit of Truth. Scripture says, I am the truth. But as soon as they talk about the Word of God, they say, this is the perfect truth. Why does the Lord say this? Why does this say this in Psalm 119? Psalm 119, it fully talks about the perfect truth from all of its different sides and angles. Because the Lord on His end has magnified the truth over Himself. The thing is, is that in order for this truth to be given to me and to you, to us, God the Father knew what He needed to do. He needed, in order to give this word, He needed to become righteousness, meaning the Son. Truth is the Father. In order for Him to give this truth to the Son, He had to show the Son how He must submit to the truth. He had to take this word, this word, this truth, and to magnify it over, over all His names. And with this word to bind his, his heart, his feet, his hands, his eyes, and to completely be submissive to this word. And as soon as the Father saw how the Father magnified this perfect truth over himself, over all his names, and how he was clothed in the righteousness of God and tied himself to this truth and became a servant of this word, then the Son was able to accept from the Father just as Abraham had passed on to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, when Moses said, when I go to them, when I come to the people of Israel, they will say, what is the name of God who sent you? What should I tell them? He says, tell them, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this name, eternal according to the promise, was eternal according to the generations. He had shown how the Lord passes along his salvation. In order to pass on a salvation, this salvation is passed along with the truth. A person who has not loved the truth, he has not loved salvation because our salvation stands fully dependent on the truth. And this is very important to understand. And in order to pass along the truth to us, the Father, this perfect truth, placed it above all and bound himself to it and became a servant of this word. Then he gave this word to his Son. The Son in relation to the Father was righteousness, but when he saw how the Father had done this, he accepted this truth and passed it along to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also, Scripture says, he will never say anything from himself, but that which he saw of uh, that which he saw, he will do. Just as Jesus bound himself by submission to the Father, and as the Father submitted to the word which he placed above all his name and called it the perfect truth. And when he bound himself, 
to this truth and gave this uh, servantry to Christ. And we're talking about Christ. This is a servant. Do you know that the uh, Father is the first servant? Why is Jesus a servant? Because he saw from the Father how it's necessary to demonstrate obedience to the Word, how truth in action reveals itself in righteousness and works of righteousness. And then the Holy Spirit who did this who never spoke anything of himself. And the Holy Spirit gave this to the apostles. The apostles gave it to the Church of God. And we already accept this truth in our heart and through the works or the fruit of righteousness, holiness, we begin to spread this truth on all of our essence. This is how our salvation is given to us. How can we make a how can we summarize this? Our salvation is passed along together with perfect truth. Without the presence of truth, salvation doesn't exist. Salvation is given with the truth and it spreads through the truth through the perfect truth. And as we heard, the law of Moses, it was uh, verity. Why? Because it had shown one part of the truth. The law of Moses had shown how God views sin and how he views a sinner, and that he was the manufacturer of the righteousness of God. He talked about truth, and he showed the truth only from this position, just as God views sin and how he views the sinner. And it was necessary for Christ, as we know, to become this righteousness. It was necessary for him to not just be a legislator, but to become these tablets and on Golgotha to destroy, to break them and to give us the teaching. The teaching so that we can resist death and against the handwriting of requirements that was against us. He can't give to us the teaching if he first does not break the tablets. And he can't break the tablets if he himself doesn't become these tablets. And that's why when Christ came, he didn't just come to wash us in his blood. He came in order to give us the teaching, the teaching. But he washed me with blood. I, in five minutes, I'm going to be lying in dirt again. Well, Lord, I'm going to be lying in dirt again. He says, well, I've come not just to wash you. I've come to give you the teaching, to give you the truth, and to spread it together with the truth to spread salvation to your soul and to your body. Therefore, when Christ had come, he was these tablets, and he, on Golgotha, had broken these tablets and given to us his teaching. And we today dwell in this teaching. Under the word righteousness in our heart is revealed the cultivating action of the fruit of truth that opposes lawlessness, unrighteousness, uncleanness, and filthiness, carriers of which among every holy congregation are people belonging to the category of tares. Revelation chapter 22 verse 11, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. We see how the fruit of righteousness, or the action of the fruit of righteousness, or truth, um, is reflected in resistance. And this fruit can only be among the righteous. Who is the righteous person that has the fruit of truth? Firstly, this is somebody that is justified by God. It is somebody that has been reinstated in his rights. It is somebody that can be built in God. It is to be fair in God, to be prepared for battle, to be direct, to be level, to be correct, 
to be firmly founded, to stand steadfast in faith, to be recognized as loyal and reliable, and to bear the fruit of righteousness. All of this uh, means to be righteous. This is how we came to the definition. To be righteous means to offer the fruit of righteousness, because to be righteous is to receive our salvation as a deposit. Deposit meaning for a certain time. For what? So that we can offer the fruit of righteousness. And not just salvation, the Lord gives everything in a seed and a deposit. He has given to us the Holy Spirit as a deposit. Scripture says He has given the Holy Spirit for a certain time as a deposit for a certain goal. And when people in church these days say, tell me, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit. The salvation is given to us as a deposit. Why? You today will rarely hear a, a sober answer. Deposit is so that we could offer the fruit of righteousness because when we receive justification as a gift, we receive it as a seed, as a deposit for a time so that we can offer the fruit of righteousness and affirm ourselves in justification and in the righteousness of God so that salvation can become our belonging, our property. Proceeding from such a meaningful and amazing definition, it follows that according to Scripture, righteousness as a product of truth, again, here's a good uh, definition, righteousness is a product of truth. So righteousness, if we see in righteousness, we'll say, for example, this is righteousness. I'm going to say, oh, let me ask. Right now it says, made in truth. Good. This is a product of truth. This water, this is a product of truth. That which the Babylonian harlot holds in her hands. Let's look at it. Let's read it. It says, made in lies. We must simply look at what is written. Sometimes you open like a, your blazer, your jacket, to look at the emblem and write where it's made. Made in Babylon. But take a look at the colors, the different shades. That's the thing, is that the, the full of colors, but it is made in Babylon. Based from such a definition, it follows that righteousness as a product of truth is also one of the title names and virtues that characterize the nature of God and the nature of the kingdom of God within us. Here is also where we see the righteousness of God. This is in the kingdom of God. Romans 14:17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is righteousness, and righteousness is truth in action. And so in scripture, the term righteousness refers to the works of a righteous person which express themselves through the state of his heart, in his thoughts, in his words, and in his actions. And so righteousness for the righteousness is expressed in the following components. Righteousness is justice, blamelessness, legality, wisdom, faithfulness, constancy, truth, reliability, hardness, meekness, goodness, nobility, steadfastness, holiness, generosity, mercy, long-suffering, lovingness. This is that quality which we ought to have. And of course, we do have it. And so the second question, what is comprised of the price or requirement giving us the ability to dwell in truth and righteousness? The first component of the price for dwelling in truth and righteousness, giving us the ability to live among the holiness of the devouring fire and the dwelling of the Most High, is comprised of accepting and acknowledging over ourselves the delegated authority of God in the face of the righteous man he has delegated. Isaiah 24, 16 From the ends of the earth we have heard songs. 
glory to the righteous from the ends of the earth here it talks about our body about our body that has heard about its adoption and this is possible only when our earth coincides to the definition ends of the earth end of the earth is that substance that is found under the shadow of the most high under the secret place of the most high that outlines specifically the ends of this earth therefore we have this component this end of the earth because we are found under the shadow of the almighty and under the secret place of the most high and this allows us to accept not just the delegated authority but together with the acceptance of the delegated authority to accept the promise and this is very important sometimes people said what delegated authority delegated authority how much longer can i listen to this friends we accept the delegated authority only for the purpose of accepting with this the promise scripture says that all the promises in him in christ jesus are yes and in him amen to the glory of god through the apostles Yura talks about how it is necessary to receive all of these promises in Christ Jesus through the Apostles. It is necessary to acknowledge God's divine delegated authority. Through this, our earth becomes the ends of the earth where we begin uh, to see the laws of God in action. Second component of the price for dwelling unto the righteousness, giving us the ability to live among the holiness of the devouring fire and the dwelling of the Most High, is comprised of the price to obtain knowledge of the truth about the adoption of our earthly body through the redemption of Christ. Job 19, 25-26 For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. He says, I know. In order for these words to be present, I know. Let's turn to the first component. From the ends of the earth, we see the songs, Glory to the Righteous. We talked about this a few minutes ago. And in order to say, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and He shall stand at last on the earth, we must be the end of the earth. Meaning, to acknowledge and accept God's delegated authority. And then we can say, Lord, I know. Why do I know? Because I have heard this from the person whom you have sent into my life. That's Therefore, the end of the earth is a person that can say, for I know, because I have accepted this in the format of the preached order. The third component of the price for dwelling in truth and righteousness, giving us the ability to live among the holiness of the devouring fire, is our decision to forgive offenses before the setting of the sun. Ephesians 4, 26-27 While angry, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So it is necessary to forgive our offenses before the setting of the sun. Now when a person repents, Scripture says, when you give something as a deposit or a loan, don't knock on his door and say, when are you going to repent? When are you going to give it back? Scripture says, go into your mystery room, pray and wait for this person to come to you and give this repentance. Don't try to pull repentance out of somebody. It's necessary for him to repent on his own. Let's take a look at the word forgiveness. It is a very uh, balanced word without the knowledge of which we won't be able to keep our salvation. We will lose it otherwise. This is a unique word. And so what is forgiveness? We are asked. Forgiveness is a purposeful, volitional action coupled with the discipline of our mind and our heart designed to lead our wounded emotion to freedom from sin called resentment, which is the devil's snare and trap into which he catches people who refuse to eradicate resentment from their heart. 
here we have somebody who can live among the devouring fire of holiness, somebody that forgives. The fourth component of the price for dwelling in truth and righteousness, giving us the ability to live among the holiness of the devouring fire in the dwelling of the Most High, is full separation from Babylon. Isaiah 48.20 Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans. With a voice of singing, declare, proclaim this, utter it to the end of the earth. Say, The Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. Say, The Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And so, two components that are comprised of fleeing Babylon. First, considering that the image of Babylon is a combination of divine revelation and divine order with the human interpretations and with human order, it follows that for the right to abide in truth and righteousness, it is necessary to leave our people, our father's house, and the corrupt lusts of our soul, which in practice means to refuse the ability of the intellect to define what is good and evil. So when a person refuses the ability of the intellect to define what is good and what is evil, this is a person who is that person of whom is said the sinners in Zion are afraid. This is the sinner who, with the capabilities of his intellect, defines what is good and evil. And secondly, to exit Babylon is necessary to leave a congregation that lacks the structure of divine theocracy, comprised of hierarchical subordination, the lack of which will result in human interpretations being mixed with divine revelations. So the interesting fourth component. The fifth component of the price for dwelling in truth and righteousness, giving us the ability to live among the holiness of the devouring fire, is the necessity to submit our faith to the faith of God. Galatians 3.6 Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. To believe God in the preached word of a person sent by God means not just to agree with the commandments of the word, but also to enter into the process of fulfilling this command. So to submit our faith to the faith of God. Abraham had believed God, meaning he had accepted the word and he had stepped into the process of fulfilling this word. To accept, to believe, and to fulfill that word which we hear. The sixth component of the price for dwelling in truth and righteousness, giving us the ability to live among the devouring fire, is preparing ourselves for a relationship with God as to our spouse. To prepare ourselves for a relationship with God as to our spouse. Of course, uh, Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 8 will show us this. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Fine linen, pure and bright, yielded by the garments of righteousness and the dignity of imperishable pearls, in which our earthly bodies will be clothed in the door of our hope, is the fruit of righteousness grown in the Eden of our heart from the seed of the word of truth. So fine linen, pure and bright, is the fruit of righteousness grown from the seed of the word of truth. Fine linen, this is, we have received salvation as a deposit, and fine linen, pure and bright, is the fruit of righteousness grown from the seed of the word of truth. This is fruit, 
not just pure but also bright linen not just according to our title scripture says not just so that we can be called but so that we can be children of god we need fine linen pure and bright and in order to prepare ourselves for a matrimonial relationship and marriage with the lamb it is necessary to dissolve the matrimonial relationship with the reigning sin in one's earthly body in the face of the old man with his deeds. Oh, it is necessary to break our matrimonial relationship with reigning sin in the face of the old man. And how do, how do we do break it? All of this begins from the correctly uh, filled out form. How does divorce happen? It begins with the form, with the correct filled out form. And for us, uh, we need to fill out this form in order to be dissolved with the old man. We need to, first of all, agree that he is there, that he is present in the body. Therefore, it's necessary for us to be dissolved with him, meaning to be separated from him, and to proclaim this through a correctly filled out form, meaning to thank God, to thank God that with the imperishable pearls we have been that we have been saved through the precious blood of the Lamb. In doing so, we fill out the form correctly and we thank God. And today this form is offered also in democratic structures. This is, they say, come to our conference. You are going to be delivered from the genetic curses, from poverty. You're going to be rich, successful, and you aren't going to have any needs. This is their slogan. But in order for us to be delivered from this, we need to fill out the form correctly. And they don't give out this form, because in order to receive the form there, we must say, all right, please tell me, how do we be delivered from this, from this inheritance? They have to say, there is a truth about the blood and the truth about the cross, and that there where you have been called to give you money or riches to be delivered from curses, they want, as Pastor says, they want to that which should be subjected to death, they bring in the demons there. The works of the flesh, they are not cast out, they are put to death. That's why when people are called to these encounters, then they are given a completely incorrect form. In order to fill out a form correctly, it's necessary to have the fullness and to have the perfect truth. As long as reigning sin in our body in the face of the old man will reign over us, we will be bound by the law with reigning sin as with our husband. When we in the death of the Lord Jesus die by the law to the law, which binds us to the reigning sin that dwells in our body and gives strength to sin, only then can we enter into a marriage relationship with reigning righteousness in the face of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 7 verses 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, so he looked uh, to this woman and talks about how she is called to, how we are bound by the law to our husband, and so then he turns to the brothers. This means that he brought this example 
how a woman is tied to her husband by law to the brothers and then he turns to the brothers therefore my brethren you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God for when we were in the flesh the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death but now we have been delivered from the law having died to what we were held by so that we could serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter So if scripture says that she will marry another man while her husband lives, she is called an adulteress. If Christ, will, first of all, never had done such things, he was never enticed by adultery or any of these things, and will never be. So until a person who has received salvation tied by the law to his old man, he will never be able to offer his hand to him, and he will never be able to be his groom, meaning we can't be his bride. Therefore, we must understand how it's necessary for us to separate from the old man. This starts with the proclamation of our lips from the correctly filled out form, and then being immersed into the death of the Lord Jesus, where we die to our nation, to the house of our Father, and to our corrupt desires which we, in the death of the Lord Jesus, we leave this old man, which is revealed in the house of our Father, our nation, and also in our own essence. And then we are able to be with the Lord and to be called His bride. The seventh component of the price for dwelling in truth and righteousness, giving us the ability to live among the holiness of the devouring fire and the dwelling of the Most High, is accepting the gospel of Christ into our heart, in which is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith, as a result of which we will have in ourselves eternal life. Romans 1.17 For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The phrase from faith to faith means from the seed of the word of faith, accepted in the format of justification, to the growth of the fruit of faith, in the format of righteousness. So from the seed of the word of faith to the fruit of faith. From faith to faith is not just as we have heard to leave the Orthodox faith or the Baptist faith or the Pentecostal faith and then so forth and so forth. And then going from there to charismatics, and then, you know, charismatics where they return to, to, the, to Catholicism. You see that charismatics now all of a sudden have, uh, uh, now have clothing that a lot of the Catholics wear. They return to, why do they go from faith to faith? That which they spit at, then they completely return to that. Many today, so-called, quotation, general, they went to charismatic leaders turned to back to Catholicism because they didn't understand what it means to go from faith to faith. To go from faith to faith means to go from the seed of the word of faith to the growth of the fruit of faith. From the seed of the word of faith to the fruit of faith. If in our worship the semantic meaning of the seed of faith 
cult reveals itself in the testimony of the fruit of faith is absent or in some way distorted and lost, the Holy Spirit will have no foundation in the gospel of Christ to reveal to us the truth of God in the collaboration of our faith with the faith of God. So our faith will not be able to collaborate with the faith of God if we don't understand this truth, that the Lord gives us His word, the word of faith in the seed, so that we can bring it and offer the fruit of righteousness. If we don't understand this truth, how the faith of God works, then our faith is incapable of collaborating with the faith of God. The collaboration of my faith with the faith of God is comprised of the correct understanding of the formula. And the formula uh, for how my faith can collaborate with the faith of God is the fact that God is going to give everything to me in the seed of the word of faith. God gives everything in a seed so that I can grow it into the fruit of righteousness. Why does God not want to even just give healing as a gift? Pastor says, God wants to heal me with this uh, natural way to allow me to go through this therapy. Of course, we want to see a miracle. But when the Lord shows His miracle, He will do this. And right now, this restoration is happening uh, wonderfully in a natural way. So perhaps we want this to... Uh, to hurry, but it is hurrying, it is going quickly, even what doctors say, they say uniquely, your recovery is going very quickly. That which it takes people 15 years to do, you over these 12 months have been able to achieve so much. And there is this transformation happening in the eyes. This means that the Lord is revealing Himself and He hides His signs and wonders so that it can it can look natural. For us it's natural. But the doctors say, oh, friends, we see a progress. You don't understand what this is and what a great progress this is. Therefore, the Lord has contained, contains His wonders and does contain His wonders, hide them so that they can look na natural, although they are all supernatural. They are all supernatural. And so, the third question, what conditions are necessary to fulfill, to keep ourselves in the limits of truth and righteousness? So the second question that we have looked at in these seven components, we looked at how it's necessary for us to dwell, to take, up, to take this height. And now what conditions do we fulfill to keep ourselves in the limits of truth and righteousness? And so in warfare strategy, there exists one unchanging definition that states, to overcome the fortress of the enemy is difficult, but it is far more difficult to protect it from the encroachments of the enemy. To overcome the fortress of the enemy is difficult, but it is far more difficult to protect it from the encroachments of the enemy. And right now we are going to talk about what conditions we ought to fulfill to keep ourselves in the limits of the boundaries of truth and righteousness. And so uh, this kind of definition... Um, it is this definition that can be applied to keep itself on the fortress in the limits of truth and righteousness. And this first condition, that the fulfillment of which is called to keep us in truth and righteousness, giving us the ability to live among the devouring fire of holiness, is to walk before God, to begin to walk on these heights before God. As we had heard, Genesis 6-9, this is a genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked before God. Noah walked before God. We also read about Enoch, that according to the birth of Methuselah, Enoch had walked before God. 
300 years. And right now we are going to talk about Noah, about his walk before God, which is very similar and shows this walk before God. Uh, and right now we're going to look at Noah. And according to this testimony about Noah, in order to be just and blameless in his generations, it was necessary for him to walk before God. In Hebrew, the phrase walked with God includes eight main components. To walk before God is first to depart from evil and to cling to good. To walk before God is to run away from evil. Second, this is to make firm our calling and election. To walk before God, thirdly, is to abide in the truth and to allow the truth to abide in us. Fourth, to walk before God is to make ourselves dependent on the truth and the Holy Spirit. Fourth, this is to, uh, fifth, this is to be led by the Holy Spirit and the boundaries of the teaching of Christ. Sixth, to strive toward the goal expressed in the boundaries of the teaching of Christ. So we strive to the goal. We don't just run away from evil, but we strive to the goal. Running away from something, we run to somewhere. Sanctification, I take myself from something. Dedication, I give myself to something or someone. To walk before God is to depart from evil. And the sixth commandment, Pastor Arkady says, to strive toward a goal is to strive towards our calling. Seventh, to walk before God is to build ourselves into a spiritual dwelling and holy place. And this is to fill our calling and strive toward holiness. Strive, strive, strive. So we have a certain goal. It is expressed in eight components to walk before God in eight components. Let's start from the very first one. First, uh, to walk before God is to depart from evil and to cling to what is good. To depart from evil, it is necessary to, with the cross of the Lord Jesus, to die in the death of the Lord Jesus to our nation, the house of our Father, and the corrupt desires of our soul. And to cling to good, it is necessary to eat from the milk and honey that is of supernatural origin in order to be able to select good and reject evil. Isaiah 7, 14-15 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. So we have what to reject and we have what to select. And this is comprised of walking before God. Someone who walks with God will be able to reject evil and choose good, to depart from evil and to cling to what is good. This is written about the Lord Jesus. And if we are found in Christ Jesus, we must understand that walking before God, just as Noah had walked, just as Enoch had walked, this is to depart from evil and to cling to good. Second, to walk before God is to make firm our calling and election. To make firm our calling and election, it is necessary to be clothed in the dignity of a servant of the Lord, which will give us the ability to affirm our calling and election that will open for us free access into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so let us read about our calling and our election. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1-11 through 11. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the name, title, a bond servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The Father has shown how we ought to be 
uh, how how he was a servant to his word when he magnified his word above all his names and then he gave this to his son and Jesus was called in the status of a servant and then he closed the Holy Spirit in a servant whom he sends so that he can bring the church to himself the wife of the bride of the the wife the bride of the lamb who is clothed in the disciple of Christ and so Simon Peter a bond servant and apostle Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord and now this person was a fisherman this uh, astonishes me the Holy Spirit comes upon them so people he writes and our pastor they say pay attention they all talk with and in the same way find a fisherman that can write this this was the Holy Spirit writing this Simon Peter the bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ not the fisherman he says as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, partakers of the divine nature is our calling, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason giving all diligence add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly love and to brotherly love agape love for if these things are yours and abound you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he has cleansed from his old sins therefore brethren be even more diligent to make your call and election sure for if you do these things you will never stumble for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this testimony, Apostle Peter says of himself that he is a servant of Jesus Christ, which is his calling, whereas his election is his partaking to the divine nature. His calling, bondservant of Jesus Christ, allows us to have his fate this is to be a partaker of God's of God's divine nature and to affirm his calling and the dignity of a servant of the Lord and his election and partaking to the divine nature it is necessary to apply diligence in order to add to faith virtue to virtue knowledge to knowledge self-control to self-control patience to patience godliness to godliness brotherly love and to brotherly love love is a demonstration of these seven virtues in our faith that affirms our calling in the status of servants of the Lord and our election to partake to the divine nature, which opens for us a free entry into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, here we have seen our calling and our election, our election to be partakers of God's divine essence, and to have this, it is necessary to define this election through our calling, bondservant of Jesus Christ. He says, Simon, servant and apostle. I wrote Daniel, bondservant and disciple of Jesus Christ. If someone asks, write this, I'd say, well, 
This is how I would say, Daniel, servant and disciple of Jesus Christ. Servant and disciple of Jesus Christ. We will... An apostle, one can call himself apostle, if he is an apostle. And we dwell in that teaching that has been given to us. We dwell in this teaching because as we heard, truth is given. So the man of God in relation to us shows and gives us the truth. We are, and our heart is cleansed of dead works, and we accept the truth in our heart. And when it dwells in our heart, the truth becomes ours, and we begin to proclaim it for our whole essence and to demonstrate the works of righteousness. Third, to abide in truth which discovers itself in the fruit of righteousness and to allow truth to abide in us, it is necessary to know the truth through instruction and faith. John 8, 31-32 Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So our uh, deliverance or our liberty is dependent on the truth, and our salvation is dependent on truth. Truth doesn't just make us free, but allows us to keep and hold our salvation. Those that don't have truth, they can't hold our salvation. We keep our salvation through the presence of truth. So how does God define a person who has inherited salvation? Only through love toward the truth. So when someone doesn't love the truth, they perish. God defines and unites His salvation together with His truth. Fourth, to make ourselves dependent on the truth and the Holy Spirit reveals this truth in the heart, it is necessary to, through instruction and faith, to engrave on the tablets of our heart the reigning teaching of Christ, which will make our heart wise. Exodus 31, 6 I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. Fifth, in order to be led by the Holy Spirit in the limits of the teaching of Christ, again, we're talking about how Noah had walked before God. So here, take a look. Everything surrounds the truth of God. Fifth, in order to be led by the Holy Spirit in the limits of the teaching of Christ, it is necessary to have the desire to converse with the Holy Spirit. John seven thirty-seven through 39 on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He, believed, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So it's necessary to have the desire for fellowship with the Holy Spirit. This means that we walk before God. Six, to strive toward the goal expressed in the prize of the upward call of God because it is specifically walking before God that is expressed in striving toward the upward call of God. It is necessary to not consider ourselves having apprehended this and forget those things which are behind, such as things that were lost and things that were achieved. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13-14 Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is, for example, as Noah had walked before God and as we walk before God. 
we do not consider ourselves to be apprehended. Sometimes people say, can you define if I have Methuselah in me? Why do we want to know these things? Because we want to see ourselves having already apprehended. But when we see ourselves having apprehended, then the first thing we do, our human nature, it uh, puts its hands down. Okay, I've apprehended this. I can go on vacation, rest. Just like at work, we, we work, we do our job. And we say, well, how much, people say, how much longer do I bring the fruit of righteousness? When one sister, she came to me and pastor wasn't here and she said, I want him to, to scan me, to look at me and to scan me. He says, you know what, Pastor, he's not a scanner. This is the first thing I'm hearing. It's the first time I'm hearing this, Pastor Scanner. But no, Pastor says, define according to the signs. Because it's... We had uh, people among us before when the false charismatics, they had went into the Soviet Union, together with false charismatics, there were Satanists and exorcists and Buddhists. All of this, they all had revived in one wave. But we must understand that there was a strong movement of this false teaching that had filled, that had, that had filled, and there was Satanism and occultism that was contained there. I hear Apostle Paul says, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Why? Um, this allows me I really liked it say, we must forget our losses and to forget our achievements. That and the other will cause us to break. Seven, to build ourselves into a spiritual dwelling and holy place. We are talking about how to walk before God, to build ourselves into a spiritual dwelling and holy place. For this is necessary to come to Christ as to a living stone, so that according to his example we can build ourselves into a spiritual dwelling and holy place. First Peter chapter two verses four through five. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We must build ourselves into a spiritual dwelling, or in other words, or allegories, to state the seed of the word of faith must become the fruit of faith. This means to build ourselves into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Take a look, pastor surrounds everything around this, how our linen must not just be pure, but also bright. This is that which is given to us as a deposit for it to become our belonging. Everything that is given to us in a seed must become fruit. And the eighth one, to fulfill our walking and offering, a, or calling and offering a fruit of holiness is necessary to demonstrate obedience to the words of the person whom God has appointed for us in the dignity of an apostle and his helpers. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 7-8. through eight. For God did not call us to uncleanness, uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. If these eight components have a place in our life, then this means that we walk with God, which gives God the basis to keep us in truth and righteousness. So we today talked about how it is necessary for us to have the ability to dwell among the devouring fire of holiness. 
For this it is necessary to walk in truth and to proclaim with our lips the truth of God, just as Noah had done and just as we had looked at in these eight components of what it means to walk before God. All right, you can then look at all of this at home. What is the date? The date written, this was, why do I say date? Because we really need to look at the original. This was a repeat from June 4th, 2021, our Friday service. We had looked at all of these truths so exactly two years ago. Therefore, I always recommend, always, 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 to listen to this, not just through the waters, but absolutely through the person who has given to us this word, because we need to know the voice of our pastor. And when you listen, you will uncover more and more and deeper and deeper. That's why I always recommend to turn to the original and to listen to this in the original from the person from whom we uh, received this. May be blessed. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the great privilege to dwell in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. We thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us today to dwell on the heights of God and that today these heights of God have become a fortress and inaccessible heights for your righteous. We thank you, Lord, that this is these are inaccessible heights to resentment, to illness, to suspicion, and soon all of this will be an inaccessible place to death. We thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to see our inheritance from these inaccessible heights. We thank you for the bread that comes down from heaven in the format of the preached word. And we thank you for the living water of the Holy Spirit one covers for us today the significance of these precious truths. You, Lord, are the truth. Lord, Jesus is the truth, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And you, Lord, have magnified your precious truth over all of your names in order to show what it means to be a servant of righteousness. And we thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you have given this submission to your word to your son to christ who through the holy spirit has given it through the apostles who have given this fear of god and these truths these perfect truths passed along to us and we lord thank you for that righteousness that we have before god in christ jesus that we today as god's verity or god's righteous ones can accept this truth and grow it in our heart we pray, Lord, that you allow us to see the truth in action. And we, Lord, proclaim that your truth is in action. And this will be possible only when we, Lord, accept in our hearts the seed of the word of faith. And when we are able to grow it 
into the faith of God and the righteousness of God. You will allow us, Lord, today to walk before your holy countenance, which allows us today to dwell among the devouring fire. You have allowed us today to depart from evil and to cling to what is good. And we refuse, Lord, with our intellect to define what is good and what is evil. We, Lord, do not want to do what the sinful carnal what the carnal Adam had done when he had ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and decided to himself identify what is good and evil. Allow us to collaborate our faith in virtue, and this virtue will be comprised for us in the fact that we will accept you as a definition of what is good and those people whom you are going to send into our life so that they can teach us what is good and what is evil. We ask, Lord, that you give us knowledge so that we are able to choose what is good and to reject from all, reject all evil. We thank you, Lord, that today upon this place you make firm our calling and our election. And you have given us the greatest election. This is to be partakers of your divine essence. And in order to have this high right to be partakers with you and in you, you have given us the highest, greatest title, the title of servant, the title of son, the title of disciple, the title of your son. And we thank you that through the title of your servant, which is rejected in this world and is considered the most unworthy, we thank you that through this title, you have allowed us, Lord, to take the greatest height, which, Lord, is for us to become partakers of your divine essence. Therefore, we, Lord, today, make firm our calling and our election. We again and again affirm ourselves in this place as disciples, as servants of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that you today have allowed us to remember those truths that we've accepted from the position of a disciple and has reached the access of our heart and was placed on the golden table of showbreads in our heart through the person who plants the word of faith. We thank you, Lord, for our pastor, for your apostle, whom you have sent into our life, for that revelation, Lord, which we today had the right to remember today, and for that revelation which we are clothed into through the proclamation of our lips. We thank you, Lord, that today our heart collaborates with the word of the person whom you have placed over us so that our lips could be like to your lips. And we thank you, Lord, that you allow us to dwell in the truth and for the truth to dwell in us. And we, Lord, place ourselves dependent on the truth, which allows us to become dependent on the Holy Spirit. And we are led by the Holy Spirit. If we don't place ourselves dependent on the perfect truth, you will not be able to lead us with the, through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we, Lord, we magnify your word over all and we 
exclaim your perfect word and we ask you to allow us to be led by the Holy Spirit according to scripture and to be fully dependent on the perfect truth. You've allowed us to strive toward the goal and to the highest calling in Christ Jesus. Therefore, Lord, we today don't want to be dependent on our losses and our achievement. We leave all of this behind of us and we strive toward your goal, Lord. We leave behind everything which can get in the way of us attaining and reaching that goal they have set before us. We don't want to no longer look at our losses and our victories because one and the other move us away from your goal. Allow us, Lord, today to focus on the meeting with you. Allow us, Lord, to lay aside all bitterness, resentment, suspicion. Allow these things to not get in the way of us meeting with you, which will be very quickly and very soon. Allow us to walk before you and to offer the fruit of holiness that will be able to keep the fire of holiness in us, which allows us to dwell, to dwell among the devouring fire of holiness which dwells upon this holy place. We, Lord, are going to continue to walk and affirm your truth, that truth which you have given to us, that truth which we have accepted, that truth which we have submitted to, and that truth which we proclaim. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you have allowed us to be united with this truth. You have allowed us to be united with your Zion and to make, Lord, these marital contracts with you so that then we can unite with you. Therefore, Lord, we cherish your church. We cherish your perfect truth and we cherish and love those through whom you have given to us these precious words. We bless them from your holy temple and we ask, Lord, for your mercy and we thank you for your supernatural therapy which reveals itself in our natural world. We see, Lord, your divine hand and we thank you for that power and that boldness and that desire and that zeal and that courage characteristics of which is the perfect truth which is found in the heart of a person we ask that you continue to give us those words that are called to be a part of our lips therefore Lord we with great desire and with great trembling we will await that revelation that you want to give to us on our Sunday service through your messenger. We thank you, Lord, that you fulfill your judgment through the bruised reed and the smoking flax. And you have said, that you will not come until you affirm your justice on the earth, your judgment on the earth. And we, Lord, are going to continue to affirm your judgment on the earth, to continue to show the characteristics of your word, 
your firm, immovable, unshakable word, which has become the property of our whole essence. We thank you, and we bow down before you, our Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen. We will conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory and unblemished joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.